Welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, the podcast that supports you in finding and embodying your purpose. My name is Paulisari, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk to Terry Patton. Terry is a philosopher, activist, social entrepreneur, consultant, coach, and the author of the groundbreaking book A New Republic of the Heart, an ethos for revolutionaries. He is a co-author of the book Integral Life Practice, together with Ken Wilber, and he has introduced thousands of people to integral practice in person and through his online courses. In this conversation, we explore the topic of integral soul work. At the time when we recorded the episode, Terry was in a process of re-evaluating his own purpose, and we spent much of the first half of the conversation exploring that. The second half of the conversation is more directly devoted to integral soul work. So, here's my conversation with Terry Patton. I hope you'll enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to the Life Purpose podcast, Terry. Thanks, Polly. Good to be here with you. Hmm. Yeah, and I would like to start with, um, we talked a little bit here before we started recording about how you feel that your sense of purpose and the way you view purpose is um, changing lately. And um, maybe we could start by you sharing a little bit about that. How, how do you view purpose today? And yeah, how is it changing? Well, I I think that originally my drive toward awakening and self-actualization and helping others and the world become more conscious and caring and courageous those kinds of values were uh, animating my my life and my sense of purpose. And to some real degree, I feel like I, you know, I've had, it's never it's never total, but it, uh, in many respects, I've lived a very purposeful life. But I think I'm so acutely aware of our collective uh, peril, uh, our collective um, hmm. how are we affecting the future of life, uh, the lives of humans, but even the more than human world. And therefore, uh, a sense of collective purpose. When I was more naive, I might have wanted to have preserved the higher quality of the human future so that we didn't descend into a dystopian condition. And and that would be my sense of our collective purpose, is to preserve as much depth as possible across 
as big a span as possible, as Wilbur would put it in terms of his prime directive. And at this point, I'm not sure that we can be confident that the human species can even survive. And there are possible future scenarios in which we might degrade the body of life on this planet and, in a sense, uh, desertify the whole world or uh, impoverish the genetic biodiversity, the legacy of, of the potential for other species to evolve and uh, express beauty and truth and goodness. So the anthropocentrism, uh, even of my sense of collective purpose, is no longer seeming like something I can fully take for granted. Hmm. So it's been shifting a bit more from preserving what's true and good and beautiful in humanity towards simply preserving life on this planet. Well, I, I don't really think I've learned how to make a big difference in that regard. I, I just think that I'm questioning some of the assumptions that were just second nature to me mm -hmm. a few years ago. And I'm I'm in a process of questioning and you know being willing to um you know it's a very sobering period of time. I think that the uh the way that the pandemic has triggered disruptive effects that are still going to take years to work their way through the global economy and then the social and cultural and political uh, repercussions of the ways that will ripple through society. And, and then there's also, I think, uh, there, there are other uh, issues. Like in some sense, we all do seem to be uh, affected by online culture in a way that uh, in some respects appear to be bringing about some sort of collective madness. Mm. Uh, I think that it's creating islands of uh, practice and service and awakening that are really very beautiful and I'm involved in my own and I feel very uh, inspired by by some of that. But the uh, the fact that we all live in this civilizational, in, uh, surrounded by, defined by, and having been shaped in our childhood by all kinds of civilizational presumptions that are part of a human presence on the planet that's so profoundly unsustainable and maybe at a point of some truly critical breakdown you know i can, i am seeing people who are coming to the conclusion that the best use of their life is to awaken more fully to the divine to divinize themselves to uh perhaps just spend 
quality time with family members and other loved ones or to uh, express their own creativity through some sort of artistic expression, storytelling or music or uh, in, in other words, that there's a, a sizable and increasing minority of people who are at one level or, of a, or, or another kind of giving up on the future of the current human civilizational system and feeling that the transition beyond it is likely to be so traumatic uh, so uh, dram- dramatic and 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 deep and vast that it our, our our minds will tend to relate to all of this and try to figure the likely scenarios and the probabilities and then to strategize. But all of that, in some sense, presumes a certain separation from the process that isn't even really real, and therefore the strategic mind is born of a kind of separated uh, cognition, a lack of fully present understanding and participation as a conscious node in the body of a much larger, complex, multi species life form you know and and mm. and so just all of these shifts of perspective are working me right now and i'm mm. i'm letting them work me and i'm learning from the process of questioning so many assumptions so purpose uh i always have taught that one's life purpose it, that it's very useful to think about and discuss and feel into perhaps with the help of a coach or someone what your life purpose is or what your mission is but that whatever way you put it into words it's provisional that we will always across the course of our lives need to uh, understand our life purpose more deeply and that therefore there's always going to be adjustments, course corrections, as we will understand more fully who we are, what the world needs, our definition of our purpose will necessarily evolve. So I've uh, always understood that. And I think that the uh, immediacy and starkness of the potentials for uh, societal breakdowns of various kinds and the Potentials for those to be so deeply destructive, not just of the future of humans, but the future even of life forms, you know, the the, the, the enormity of, of global warming, but also uh, there are many other aspects of our overpopulation and our technological reach that can create even more devastating damage to the whole body of life, the whole biosphere, or the whole planetary ecological richness. And, and of course, that includes things like thermonuclear war. But e- even uh, some of the potentials for uh, malicious bioengineering of new genetic codes that can spread through the biosphere and possibly 
change the substrate of life on on earth or or the totalizing effects of a superhuman intelligence with insufficient wisdom programmed into its priorities all of those things um are just daunting you know i think i think that i in a way we're having this conversation in a moment in which i've been I, I would say that I cycle, that, that at times I awaken more and more fully to the miracle of life and to the blessing, uh, the enormous sacredness of this moment, of every single living moment. And I relax more fully whatever patterns of chronic tension or compensation might otherwise uh, um, be a limiting factor in my way of uh, understanding reality, you know, open up and, 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 and there's just a deeper and deeper peace and gratitude and amazement and and delight and love, you know. And then uh, there are also dark nights of the soul where I recognize some measure of distancing from aspects of the suffering or destruction or um, you know, the darkness of, of our conditional situation and am letting go of whatever way I've distanced from that, whatever way I might have subtly engaged in a spiritual bypass of terrible truths. And it seems to me that a conscious person in these times constantly cycles into deeper and deeper levels of uh, contact with reality. I would think of it really mostly as a spiral rather than a pendulum, but Mm-hmm. viewed in terms of one's mood or one's uh, positivity or negativity, it, it looks a little like a, a swinging back and forth uh, between darkness and light. And, you know, just like a, a spiral viewed from the side looks like it's going back and forth. And uh, I think that as I, as I deepen, uh, I... Uh, sometimes have to go through an even more profound dismantling of my ego and personality and identity and value structures by which I've oriented myself in order to allow whatever I, whatever I have been conditioned to exclude to come into view more fully. And I think uh, we're just happen- happening to have this conversation in a moment in which I'm just letting myself go into that darkness more fully. So you're hearing mm. uh, the tenderness of, of that, of mm. one of those passages. And, and, and if I look back at my own personal you know, history, I know that the, the this that even deeper than my darkness is an unconditional 
brightness and that I will find my way there and be another moment in which I might express myself in a way that would seem just more bubbly and mm. full of joy and delight and you know cuz cuz life is a miracle and, and 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 in fact the sacredness and the preciousness of every moment of life is even more profoundly highlighted when we take into account that we could be among the last generations or even in the last years or decades of the ability to enjoy it in such comfort and with such privilege. And, and, and therefore, I think the letting in uh, and the savoring of that sacred miracle uh, can leave me just insanely grateful and just appreciating my life completely and, and being uh, uh, sort of bubbly and unreasonable, childlike delight kind of quality. And, and I, I kind of like that more. You know, it's fun to be like that. Other people respond very positively when I show up that way. Uh, but you've caught me in a moment in which I'm, uh, my heart is really pierced by a lot of the dark uh, realities and different aspects of it that are uh, I'm allowing to destabilize any uh, ego uh, tonic, uh, you know, the, 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 the good feelings through which I can hide from those awful realities. And, you know, I think I'm just allowing myself to be be transformed by that right now. So you're hearing me in that kind of a space. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. I'll just take a moment to feel in there were many things there that I would like to continue exploring, but I'll take a moment to rest with that. Well, firstly, I just want to say that I really appreciate the way you're um, well modeling this um, well, it's so important to to really take in the darkness of the world also, and it's it's very hard to do that, and often we tend to want to numb ourselves and yeah ignore the realities, the more difficult realities so i think it's it's great that you are showing us the way in doing that mm. and also just yeah it's so um yeah this thing that when we take in these realities we're taking things that really shake our world it does transform us it it, it has to otherwise we can't deal with all that information if we're not changed by it somehow and it just um yeah appears with such great clarity in 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 what you're sharing how that works um yeah and also this thing about purpose being provisional of of course it is um we are changing all the time and everything is changing However, I do, the way I view purpose and how the Purpose Guides Institute views it is we divide it into eight facets. 
and um, well, vision, values, powers, essence, giveaway, message, mission, and uh, delivery system. And I would say that some of these are perhaps a bit more permanent, like our essence and our giveaway, but they express themselves differently in different times. And that is mostly what changes. Can you relate to that? And can you feel that you, perhaps there's something a bit more solid about your purpose at its core, but expressions of it changes? Uh, Well, I think that um yeah there's a a kind of soul essence quality that probably doesn't change but i do think that um there are bigger shocks to our um you know We, we 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 can't maintain our current way of being human in the face of a lot of the realities that we know are true and therefore we're um i i think that it is possible for an intelligent caring person to come to the conclusion that the whole identity and the whole thrust of even their virtues has been framed by a a sociocultural surround that is not going to continue to hold them, and therefore they might make some pretty radical shifts in their choices and their ways of being and their and their and their intention there are moments when i uh i feel willing to you know i i live in a a very modest home but in a very beautiful place that's you know, one of the most desirable parts of, you know, Marin County, California, north of San Francisco, very beautiful and mm-hmm. lots of nature. But it's a completely, it's an area where you're completely dependent on an automobile. And so, so, so many of my habits and ways of being are just tied up with the unsustainability of, of a human presence on the planet. Now, if I were to conclude that there's, that I just have to divorce this whole, series of habits and ways of being that have shaped my last years and uh you know i could imagine uh doing what i could to you know one of the big challenges that people have in uh more uh sustainable lifestyles in eco villages and other uh intentional communities is that they have a really tough time sometimes uh, with the interpersonal dimensions of their lives together, that that they may have some places where they harmonize pretty well, but when they get down to the push and shove and the difficulties, uh, 
communities are famously uh, fractious and, and, and difficult. It's really difficult to live a better way with one another. So I find myself wondering, well, maybe what I've learned just as a mature elder will be best deployed as, you know, in service to an eco-village, even though I don't know the first thing about farming. And, you know, I might contribute to the community in some practical ways, but, you know, probably cooking and doing dishes and, you know, maybe doing a little bit of menial work in some of Mm. the uh, gardens or something. But, like, I, I would... That would be a complete redirection of my life purpose. Right now, my my life purpose has been defined by integrating, making integral ways of understanding, not just purpose, but understanding even integral map or integral priorities, making them more integral, helping people take more and more of reality into account and helping them bring that into the body and the felt experience and all of that. And it's been something that makes total sense in a cultural conversation that has continuity. But if I uh, were to conclude that the continuity of this cultural conversation is going to be interrupted so severely that having an influence in that broader world is not even that there's there's a kind of blindness even in that focus. You know, I, I would redirect my purpose so fundamentally. And then aspects of what I bring to my current purpose, perhaps a certain depth of presence, perhaps the way that my grateful love of God is there in my being, you know, perhaps the way that I can see into another heart with real curiosity and openness such that there can be deeper contact, you know, they can have the experience of being seen more deeply. Those things might still be part of what I would bring to another circumstance, but I've had a kind of a cultural purpose and it is uh, still very real. I, I mean, I'm, you know, part of what's going on right now is that I'm involved in a virtual community. I've invited people to join me in a social experiment. So it's a little like a uh, an intentional community or an eco-village, but uh, not in a physical, a single physical place. You know, it's people from all over the world who are coming together passionate to learn another way of being human with one another. And I'm expressing my purpose by helping model uh, mature ways of being and offering structures that help people show up at their best. But I'm not... um, I'm not sure that what I'm doing right now, if if I were to come to the conclusion that even the unsustainable behaviors that make it possible for people to continue to connect with one another through the internet are uh, a really 
causing more harm than I have imagined up until now. If, you know, I, if, if the balance were to tip, I might rethink all that. And so, I mean, just mm. in one of those moments of not knowing, I think it's very important yeah. to be uh, very, very deeply heart vulnerable to the possibility of more fundamental revelation. And they, they, these are very... Um, these are very sobering times. I have, I have, you know, in, in, in my positive swings in my, you know, spiraling into depth, I'm, I'm more uh, confident of, of what we can do and how we can do it. And I'm less uh, deeply questioning it, but I, I, I'm in a moment right now where I just don't know. And, and that, mm. uh, and, and 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 in that place, I think, made uh, available perhaps to learn even more fundamental in in more fundamental ways that might reshape me in more fundamental ways. And so I'm not sure. Sure, some essence qualities would continue, but the focus on purpose—it's almost like I have to have an identity, and 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 I'm I'm focused as a soul, you know, in time, moving through this adventure with a sense that I have a giveaway, I have a gift to give. And uh, when the very foundations of identity need to shake, it, it can go very, very deep. Hmm. Yeah. And of course, no one knows the way ahead. We can only... Yeah, we have to experiment our way forward, and when we get feedback, we may change direction pretty radically. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about how you view soul work and um, and its relation to purpose, and maybe, maybe, maybe you could. Talk a little bit about that, and and use yourself as a practical example of how how it how soul work can what what it can look like in real life. I mean, kind of what you shared here already has um, shown a little bit of that, but maybe you can say a little bit more, and maybe yeah, what is soul work? Well, you know, I've I've in in a new republic of the heart, I wrote a chapter, Life as Practice, about uh, processes of awakening and primarily the processes of awakening. There were some previous chapters that set forth some of the basics of, of, of also developmental maturity. And I think that it's really, really important that we grow not only in our uh, ability to, I, I, I'm talking about the kinds of personal growth that are not soul work first in order to contextualize the way I approach soul work. So mm. one of the ways that we can grow is to develop into higher stages of development, higher structures. This is uh, the kind of thing that, uh, Integral theory concentrates on it's what Suzanne Cook-Greuter, Terry O'Fallon, or the Lectica folks, or what uh, um, 
Thomas Bjorkman and uh, metamodernists are, are, are very interested in, in development. And there is a, a kind of evolutionary self-actualizing arc that goes on, but it really kind of has to do with how we make meaning of life experience and being able to do so in more complex and nuanced ways. And uh, there are many dimensions to it. And then there's another kind of growth that has to do with awakening to God. And we awaken, uh, and, and most of the ways that I have taught about it, you know, draw on the great spiritual traditions and the highest awakenings are awakenings from false identities, such that my uh, knowing of myself as a body-mind with a birth and a death date and a personality and all the rest is actually superficial to my deeper identity as the vibratory conscious light, the radiant transcendental conscious being, the I amness that I truly am. And that's the transcendental awakening. And, and there's another kind of uh, practice in that domain that draws me into elemental contact with the earth and sky and sun and air and water and you know just the the, the 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 there's a kind of embodied awakening to the divinity of the manifest and and both of those kinds of awakenings are important now soul work is not about any of those things soul work is about cuz in all of those things you awaken well the in both the elemental and the transcendental forms of awakening, you really awaken from your identity altogether. And in development, you are uh, making subject-object. You are making the lens through which you see reality an object of your intelligent inspection. And therefore, you emerge from all kinds of implicit lenses through which you see reality. All of those are really important. They're, they're, they should never be uh, disrespected to any degree. Soul work, however, is, is it's kind of the juicier and more... Uh, uh, Right now, it's particularly compelling. Many, many people are doing medicine journeys. They're doing shamanic ceremonies. They're uh, participating in uh, death psychology and ensoulment. Uh, certain kinds of artistic explorations are very much an expression of this. And in soul work, we really take the soul's reality in this life, or perhaps in many lives, as our Assumption, we, we would view the awakening from the illusion that I am a separate soul as an event within the journey of the soul. Like from the soul work perspective, we don't awaken to the emptiness of self and the emptiness of time. We awaken 
oh, it isn't really so much about awakening. It's it, there's nothing. There's no pushing away. It's it's a, a deeper contact with the uh, the subtlest kinds of knowing that we can do in time. And soul work is absolutely vital too. Uh, development and transcendental awakening, and even an elemental awakening, don't really tell us very specifically how to answer our practical life questions. Our practical life questions like, do I marry this person I'm attracted to? Or do I move to a different city? Or do I decide to major in this or that in my studies? Or do I start a business? Do I choose this person as a business partner? Do I, you know, these are very consequential decisions that everyone must make and that should be informed by our deepest spiritual understanding. And soul work helps us uh, come into contact with the subtle and 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 the magical uh you might say the uh archetypal the profound play of subtle realms and subtle entities in our own life adventure so in uh I sometimes say that transcendental awakening is analogous to space because we awaken and awaken and awaken from false identities until we are not different from reality itself and the I amness of the universe is awake through us. Whereas in in soul work, and, and, and that's that's a, a that, that goes to the it's very it's radical, so it's causal and non-dual. Whereas soul work is really about listening deeply enough to the soul of the world and to your own deepest soul nature, such that you live more, you're able to discover what you were sent here to do and to be and what it is that's next in the unfoldment of your own unique expression and therefore it's a listening not at the most radical level but in a way at the at the at the most consequential but but subtle in a sense manifest level so you you end up listening to and you're if you go on a vision quest which is a very important soul work practice you may discover a, a sense that you're getting a, some guidance or some lesson from a natural creature, uh, and, and therefore you're uh, entering into a more magical relationship with the forces. The, this is where we have Native American uh, animal totems and names and all, all that kind of thing, and so and and those are important. And in a sense, we're in a journey in which the ways that we've alienated ourselves from the psychic and uh, uh, archetypal 
plays of energy and intention in the natural world. We're, we're coming back into contact, listening, listening deeply to the body of life. Even as we are doing, having so much destructive impact upon it. So, soul work is, I think, a lifelong process because the play of life and the subtle energies that animate us are always alive and in play and they're changing and they're moving. And therefore, there's no uh, completion of that soul path. There, there is a deeper and deeper maturation. You become less and less a child, more and more an adult, and ultimately more and more an elder and more and more a wisdom keeper. Uh, that happens in soul work. But there's no goal to soul work. In a sense, you're just more profoundly present in the play of living energies that that are, are, are alive. But it helps you come to know your, you're not just a disembodied mental, so many of us in this society are bound by a fixation at the verbal mental level of our awareness. And we can't feel, you know, there's a pre-trans thing here, right? There's a kind of uh, impulsive feeling that can drive an immature person. And then there's, we use the same word feeling to point to uh, both a more embodied and a more intuitive way of apprehending aspects of reality that we can't think our way through. So as you begin to recognize the limitations of an abstracted, mentalized orientation to life, uh, there's a an awakening then more 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 and more to to you know as you become as you coincide more fully in a more fully embodied way so that even your mind is less able to abstract itself from contact with your soul nature then more and more and more the the purpose uh, flows through you. At first, when we think about our life purpose, it's almost a mental exercise. Like, okay, so what is my purpose? As if we're choosing our major in college or something. And as we get more and more mature, we begin to recognize that that purpose is inherent it isn't something that a superficial mental or, or personality structure could choose. We discover purpose instead of choosing it. And then, and then we begin to realize that our individual purpose is in service of something greater than ourselves. And so that there's a purpose to something healthy and beautiful in culture that our purpose is a subset of, that we're contributing to a, a a purpose in culture, then maybe there's a purpose for our species, and then there might be a purpose in an even more fundamental way for the whole body of life, and that's kind of what I was talking about at the beginning. So all those things are 
that's a very rich and multidimensional and rather complex answer to your hmm. <laughs> comparatively simple question. But I think it puts it all in a in a more coherent context. And 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 actually, I would want to say one more thing. What I teach is into what I call it is integral soul work. And in integral soul work, there is a really profound difference between uh, between that and and most conventional soul work. Because many times there are immature forms of soul work where you're looking to find your individual purpose or your soul mate or uh, actualize your goals in, uh, in your career that are um, They're pretty well ego, ego bound, and if you haven't done some tr- some some really healthy awakening, transcendental awakening, to where you really do know that at your at the deepest level you are not separate from anything or anyone, and that even your soul is a wave in a bigger ocean, and and that you're. And, and, and in that awakening, you know yourself as the ocean most, you are more fundamentally, you know, an expression of the ocean than you are of the particular wave that you happen to be. That awakening breaks you out of a certain kind of ego-bound approach to soul work. And I don't think that's critiqued adequately, and I think that it needs to uh, inform our soul work more richly. So uh, that's a distinction that's important to my formulation. I, I, uh, I wrote a paper that I presented at the 2015 Integral Theory Conference on integral soul work, where I made some of those important distinctions. Hi, sorry for interrupting. I would just like to take a brief moment to share a bit about what I do as a purpose guide. So are you in a place in your life where you would really like to get engaged in something? Maybe there are many alternatives that are pulling you in different directions, but it's really hard to choose one. They all seem relevant and interesting. What you would like is to be able to fully commit to something so that you can be 100% engaged in what you're doing, in a way where you feel that your unique gifts and talents are made good use of, and where you feel that you're making a contribution towards a better world. So my solution to this dilemma would be to help you find your purpose, because when you have that clarity about why you're here, while you're alive in this time and place, it's so much easier to choose. And when it's easier to choose, it's easier to get engaged in what you're doing without constant doubts about whether what you're doing is the right thing. So how do we do that? How do I help you get clear about your purpose? It's a process that is very much about connecting you to your soul, because your soul, the deepest part of yourself, is the part that knows your purpose. So the whole program, the Purpose Discovery Program, is very much centered around helping you get closer to your soul and to get information from your soul about your purpose and the different aspects of your purpose. 
We divide purpose into eight different facets. Vision, powers, values, essence, giveaway, task, message and delivery system. And through different kinds of practices, you will gradually more and more clarify each of these throughout the process. Towards the end of the process, you're likely to have a very good soul-level understanding about why you're here. If this sounds interesting for you, you can book a free introductory session. It doesn't cost you anything, just a little bit of your time. We'll have a chat and we'll see if the program is the right fit for you and if you and I are a good fit to work on this together. So if you feel called, I really want to encourage you to go to my website and find the contact page and book a free session. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Thanks for listening. So what does it look like in practice then? How do we get closer to our soul? Yeah. How do we let how do we let soul infuse our lives more? Well, you know, at a at a fairly early stage in the process, as we just begin to understand the importance of soul work. And we recognize that we could be much, much more profoundly in contact with our soul, our, the voice of our soul, or the guidance, or the, that true north of our own deeper self. It, it can be really useful to, to ask ask for ask your soul to help you hear him or her mm. and that and that asking is very primal it's like when you know that you need this then it can for some people it takes more of the form of a question and for others more of the form of a prayer mm. but in in english you can use the same word you can ask a question you can ask a blessing you know you can ask for a blessing so i mm. call it your ask uh and and it and it, it's a kind of raw um recognition that You're, if, to, to the degree that you're mentally abstracted, which most people in Sweden and America certainly are, most uh, people who are part of our hyper-complex civilizational inheritance are, we're, we're, we're tending to be caught in ego and mind and the mind of separation. And so that there, there, that sense of being unmoored by the very particular sacred quality of one's own being, the deepest being beyond your 
fears and greed and you know every everything that is a little bit distorting in your in your personality structure but you need that contact you you can then perhaps you get in touch with it enough that you can articulate a prayer maybe even write it out i sometimes invite people to make a soul work statement mm. you can do ritual you can do a, a vision quest or you can do a there are many different kinds of process but you really call out to the soul of the world and to your own soul to reveal and claim you and in some sense you at the deepest level of your being, you ask with all your heart, you ask with every cell of your body, with every brain cell, with every bit of yourself. I, I turned myself over to this deeper and souled level of being, and you open then, and then you can hear, perhaps, the beginnings of this, you know, sometimes called the still small voice of your soul. And as you begin to get some measure of that guidance, I think you, you gather a different kind of gravitas, a different depth and power of presence. And you are also humbled, I think, usually very much mm. uh, drawn into a, a, a relationship with a rich community of life, of human and non-human forms of life, and in a, a very dynamic play. So, yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So, as I understand it, there's there's two ways to relate to soul. What you spoke about was more the being in relationship to soul, as if soul is something not outside us, but something that we can relate to as another. And then there's another possibility, which is more being soul, like a first person perspective on soul. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's paradoxical, of course. I think that it is really useful. You know, the to to conceive of the the one who can hear these words and these meanings and who is interested to be a little bit polluted by uh, all kinds of societal imprints and ego drives and uh, sometimes not fully conscious motives or compensatory strategies or whatever. And therefore, speaking about soul as like the, this is like the Greek uh, 
idea of the daemon. Uh, you know, it, it's it's the myth of Ur, which which, according to Plato, Socrates told after he had been condemned to drink the hemlock, but during the couple of weeks he was able to meet with his students and disciples. He uh, he told this story of uh, this warrior Ur who had been wounded in battle but not killed and. Uh, well, well, he ha- actually, that's not true. He had been killed in battle, uh, and he was his body was on a, I guess, a heap of dead bodies, and 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 then he came back to life after he had died, and he was able to tell the story of what had happened between lives, and he said that he had gone down to the underworld, and there. Uh, Immediately, everyone drinks the waters of lethe of forgetfulness. Uh, now, Ur, I guess, kind of somehow didn't didn't get didn't have to drink the those waters, so he hadn't forgotten. But once you've dr- drunk those waters, then all of your memories, all of your identity, is washed out of you. And after that, you go before the fates, and there are three fates. Uh, Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropos. And when you go before the fates, Lachesis assigns your daemon. Your daemon is kind of your soul. It's like, uh, it's a kind of cross between your deepest self and your uh, deepest guide, your your godfather or godmother, your, uh, your, your, it's like your deepest sacred relationship and the most sacred part of your own being. But it is assigned to you. It has a certain flavor. It smells like you. It has your signature qualities. And that's assigned to you first. And then Clotho will give you all of the things that we think of as your, as, as, as in, in the scientific culture, uh, as the things that shape you, that it gives you your moment of your birth, your parents, your heredity, and your environment. You know, we we sometimes ask, like, what shapes you? Is it heredity or environment? All of that is included in the moment of your birth, Clotho, which which is given to you by Clotho, who is the spinner. She's this is your spindle destiny. So if your parents are rich or poor, if they love each other or hate each other, if you have siblings and who they are, if it's a time of war, time of peace, a time of prosperity, a time of ease, all of that, this language you speak, the larger circumstances of the world during the years of your life, all of that is given to you by Clotho. Now, Lachesis doesn't just assign your daemon, she also assigns your... It's almost like your luck, your magnetism. Her her name is Lachesis, kind of means luck. It's the thrower of lots. But it's what you attract, what you repel. And that's considered entirely distinct from your spindle destiny. This is a sort of other dimension. And then Atropos, of course, is she who cannot be turned. She cuts the cloth. She's the one who determines the moment of your death. So all of that follows upon the assignment of the daemon. But the one who arrives 
is assigned the daemon on the basis of your character. It's like the Tibetan concept of the drop. It's like w- the degree to, you cu- the, to which you cultivate virtue, the, the, the qualities of uh, courage, nobility, the, the higher virtues that are at, 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 the, at the deepest level integrated into your being. It is on the basis of that, and that is who you are, that your daemon is assigned. So there's this distinction between you, who is just kind of the, the, the soul who is becoming more and more and more, hopefully, if, he's, if you're on the path, learning and growing, becoming an older soul, a more mature, wiser being. On the basis of that, your daemon is assigned, and your daemon is identified as being distinct. Mm-hmm. Now, in the, in the lived experience, even if it is useful for you to think of your daemon as the most profound dimension of your being with whom you have a relationship at the level of your uh, personality and your mind, as you deepen into this, the fact that you are never and could never be separate from that daemon, and the less and less that you are captured by those superficial motives and identities that would divert you from the purposes and guidance of the soul, well, then it is as if the soul awakens Well, you, you, you get out of the way and the soul reclaims the life and you are your soul. Mm. And it is uh, first person. And it's always a little first person rather than second person. It, 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 it's, it's in, in a, an, a liminal space that is not entirely one or the other, I think. And it's mm. best not to... We can point to one or another aspect of it, but it's, I think, wisest to hold it as being, you know, ambiguous for a good reason, because it it operates in this subtle domain in which there is such profound uh, paradox and ambiguity, Mm. and that's that's a healthier way to be with it, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Well, our time is running out here, so I would like to take, give you some space here to share about your offerings and anything that you would like our listeners to know about your work. Sure. Well, um, I think the thing that people might find really interesting might be uh, participation in this social experiment, which is really quite a, a rich community of people who are taking seriously their inner work of all these different kinds and also their outer work, their responsibilities as a world citizen, and who want to be engaging others interpersonally at a deep level in order to make those differences. So that Social experiment is um, it's visible at beingofbenefit.com, uh, or if you just go to newrepublicoftheheart.org, the nonprofit that I 
do my work through, you can get on our mailing list and you'd find out about the next time we open the doors of the social experiment to new participants. The other things that uh, people might find interesting is my podcast, State of Emergence, uh, where I conduct conversations at the edge. Uh, and I, uh, I think that's very rich. And, and yet, in a way, what I'd most like people to do <laughs> is to read my book, A New Republic of the Heart. It's my magnum opus, and it really does integrate a lot of the key elements of what matters right now in this moment in the human journey, and I think a, a more comprehensible and embodied way than I've seen done elsewhere. We also have a new book uh, called Being the Change. Uh, I'm one of the authors of it, and uh, we have published it in a in the way that was easiest for us. And we self-published it through the nonprofit just a few months ago, and it's the research findings. The the social see as I began to realize how quickly the human uh, prospect was degenerating, how fast climate change was moving, how fast social breakdown was happening. I stopped teaching in a conventional way, and I, I began doing all my work through a nonprofit. And instead of teaching courses, I invited people into a social experiment. And the first year of that social experiment, we just said, let's just do this for one year. Let's engage this with intensity and integrity as best we can. And then let's share what we learned. So just a few months ago, or not even, we published our findings from that first year of the social experiment. And that book, Being the Change, is now available. Uh, you can find it uh, uh, on the on. You can find if you if you don't immediately find it on Amazon with my name and Being the Change, you can also go to beingthechange2019.org. And on that site, you can uh, get a PDF for free of that book. So those are all the things that are most front of mind for me right now. Okay, great. So thank you so much for being on the Life Purpose Podcast, Terry. Well, it's good to hang out with you a little again, Polly. I've seen you periodically over the years and watched you find your calling and begin to do this work. And it's nice to see you extending into it more and more fully. And it's been fun to spend this time with you and respond to these deep questions. Hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode. In the second part, we have a closer look at the practical side of purpose discovery. If you're the least bit interested in discovering your purpose, you're going to find this part very helpful. You can find it in the members area of my website. It doesn't cost you anything at all to become a member. It's completely free. Here's an excerpt from the second part. But then I think you need to drop into your ask in the most fundamental way and really, really know that you're asking. You're asking to be in contact with your soul nature and your soul will show you your purpose. Like the the fashioning of a purpose 
from the uh, anxiety and, 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 and sense of vertigo and being unmoored that come from recognizing you don't know your purpose isn't how you find your purpose. Like you, you kind of have to surrender at an even deeper level. You have to come into contact with your soul nature. If you want to listen to the rest of the second part, you can either find the members area in the menu on my website, paulisari.com, or use the link in the show notes. Membership is completely free. You just sign up with your name and email address and receive a password. And that gives you access to all of the extra materials for the podcast. In case you really do not want to be on another mailing list, I totally understand. What you can do in that case is to sign up and then unsubscribe immediately after you receive the password. In the members area you can also find a purpose discovery meditation. These are strong words, but I can almost guarantee that this meditation will give you at least some piece of new information concerning your purpose. I say that based on that this is what people again and again report back to me after doing the meditation. I hope that you will find it helpful too. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.